Okay, good morning everyone. I want to thank our series for the uh, Parsha Shira this year. Becky and Avi Katz, just saw them at the uh, OU Torah in New York. Good friends and their family. Sponsored in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman. Also, I want to thank uh, Linda Gordon, who sponsored this morning's uh, specific shear in memory of her beloved husband, Harvey, whom we all miss on the occasion of his shloshim, his neshama as well. Special soul should have an aliyah. Thank you, Linda. Okay, today we have the privilege of studying Parshas Nitzavim, short Parshas. Sometimes we read it together. This year we read it alone. And yet, it's a parsha which packs a punch. It's a reason that we have the custom to always read it before Rosh Hashanah, because in many ways it is a wake-up call, both a wake-up call to make the right choices, to craft and mold the right life, but also an invitation that contains the formula and the secret for how to persevere, how to succeed in judgment. You may not have heard, in a few days it will be Rosh Hashanah. Way too few a days. And we will, that will launch a period of 10 days of, of course, introspection, self-reflection, in which not only will we be evaluating ourselves, but will come before the Almighty for our evaluation by Him. And if we want to pass the evaluation, if we want to pass the test, we hope to be signed and sealed for a year of good health and happiness, then Parashat Tzavim contains within it some of the uh, secrets or the messages for how to do that. So what do I mean by that? Let's start from the beginning, which is always a good place to start. Atem it's on the art scroll on page 1086, 1086. You're standing this day before Hashem, Roshechem, the leaders of all your tribes, your elders, officers, every person, your young and your women, Converts in your camp. It's the great equalizer, says Moshe. There is no class system. There's no hierarchy, no socioeconomic status. Everybody equally is standing here together. Everyone equally is here having a portion in the in the Ribono Shel Olam. The, uh, we'll start. There's so many things. I don't know if we'll get past this first Pasuk today. There's a lot to say. The Kutzkarebi. Kutzkarebi pointed out that the word Atem, not coincidentally, is the same letters as the word Emes. Kotzker was an Ish Emes. Kotzker Rebbe was a man of truth. In fact, the Kotzker Rebbe had no tolerance. He was allergic, not only to lies, blatant lies, but any, any uh, distortion of the truth whatsoever, he couldn't stand. He couldn't stand. That was the Kotzker. In fact, he had to go into hiding, not into hiding. He lived in seclusion for many, many years focused on his own personal avoda because he was so fiery and so fierce and had such an intolerance for the human foibles and frailty and the fact that uh, people tend to, to bend and twist the truth. So he offers here a great insight. You know what's standing before God? Atem emes. If you want to stand upright, if you want to carry yourself with pride, if you want to fully operate and participate in society and in the world, if you want to be among the nitzavim, you want to stand upright, then atem need to be emes. You have to be filled with emes. Sheker ein lo raglayim. Lies have no legs to stand on. Truth stands firmly grounded on two legs. 
So said the Kotzker, Atem nitzavim ayom kulchem. Do you know what is standing together before God? How do we operate? Shiftechem Rasha, how do we operate? All of us, every category of society. What is the social contract that we have to have in order to function, in order to operate, in order to be one? Said the Kotzker, you know what stands? Atem nitzavim. Where is the foundation from where do we draw the strength to stand? Atem from emes, from being people of truth. If you tell the truth, you don't have to try to remember because it's the truth. But the people who tell lies, who bend the truth, the people who offer distortions, they get caught in those lies. It's hard to remember what lie you told who and about what and how you balance it and weave it all together. So if you want to stand upright with pride and with staying power, then Atem is the letters of MS. Once I mentioned in the Kutzker, I said it last week to the women's shir, I'll tell you because this is my favorite Kutzker. It's already quoted in Halacha that we have a custom not to eat uh, nuts on Rosh Hashanah. Why don't we eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah? Because egos is gematria chet. Egos, the Hebrew word for nut, nuts, is the same numerical value as the word chet, which is the word for sin, sin mistake, indiscretion. Egos is gematria chet. So when you're planning your Rosh Hashanah recipes for next week, of course, don't plan any dishes that have within them nuts. That's our custom. We don't have nuts. Egos is gematria chet. So you want to know the Kutzker? Kutzker said, you know what else is gematria chet? Chet. <laughs> Says how many people, they come to their meal on Rosh Hashanah, and they're not eating nuts because the nuts have a gematria chet, but they're sitting there gossiping, they're raiding the chazan, they're raiding the rabbi, they're talking about their friend's hat, outfit, what they were wearing, what time they got to shul. So says the Kutzker, this is the Kutzker, Ish Emes. Kutzker says, we're not eating egos because it's gematria chet. You know what else is gematria chet? Chet. Chet is also gematria chet, so we should avoid chet. Good. Now, next. So Atem Nitzavim Ayom Kochem, we saw what is standing, the Kutzker says, What's standing before God is the concept of the concept of Atem. Where are we standing? What's going on here? Again, they're on the cusp of entering the land. Moshe's delivering this monologue, this inspirational speech, motivational talk, trying to charge them with a mission. When you come into the land, be a model for the world. Be loyal to one another. Be honest and truthful to Hashem. Keep His Torah and mitzvahs, His prescription, His formula for a most meaningful life. And so all of a sudden, in the middle of his speech, he remarks to them, you're standing here today, all of you. Where are they standing? And why is it relevant now to reference their posture, that they're standing there all together now? Why is it important that they're all together? What's going on in this long monologue that we've called Sefer Dvarim, that all of a sudden now he's referencing Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kochem? Why now and why here? Let's look at some of the classic Mepharshim and then I'm going to share some other ideas. So, what's going on? Rashi says, Atem Nitzavim Hayom. Malamed, Rashi is clearly bothered by this, and he says Moshe is gathering them on the day of his death in order for them to re-enter the covenant, to re-enter the bris. We have several times that the Jewish people have entered the bris. Rabbi Soloveitchik expands on this Rashi. He says the Jew has two degrees of sanctity, rooted in separate covenants between Hashem and the Jewish people. There are actually three covenants, but two of them are counted as one. The covenant at Chorev, with those who receive the Torah, and the covenant made in the plains of Moab, Arvos Moab, with the people entering the land. B'nai Yisrael was sanctified through these covenants, and the sanctity was passed on by inheritance from generation to generation. And besides these two, there's a third described here in Yitzavim. 
And this one applied not only to the generation, but to every member of the Jewish people. That's what we're going to read. Not just with you, not just with those who are standing here, but those who are not yet born, those who are not here, all those. From here we derive the original independent sanctity of every individual in each generation and every era. We thus have a dual connection with the master of the universe, universe as individuals and as descendants of our forefathers. And the Rav goes on and elaborates, we have two brisim. We have a bris, we have a covenant, we have an individual relationship with Hashem. That's our private conversation. Who am I? And what am I about? What's my personality? What are my talents and skills? What are my liabilities and faults? What am I meant to contribute? The difference I'm meant to make? What legacy do I want to leave? What relationship do I have with Hashem? When do I speak to Him? How, where, and when do I feel Him speaking to me? That's the personal covenant. It's a commitment that I make in a personal relationship that I have. But we're also part of a corporate covenant. And the corporate covenant is Knesset Israel, the Jewish people. And that's a commitment that my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were part of. My children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, please God, will be a part of. And it is a collective commitment. Now, this all stems from the question, which unfortunately, tragically, we're hearing in our time, which is alluded to in our commentators here, that when Moshe tells them, you know, not only are you entering this covenant, but your great-great-great-great-grandchildren are bound by it. And now we're at a generation of great-great-great-great-grandchildren who are saying, what right did you have to bind me in your covenant? I didn't sign on any dotted line. I didn't buy in. I didn't make that commitment. I didn't join membership. Why am I bound by these responsibilities? I'm opting out. I'm opting out. I'm leaving. So here we have a more national or global covenant than the individual one. It's, a, it's binding on us in a, bigger, uh, in a bigger way. It deserves to be elaborated on that for now. But that's what the Rav says is what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them and why he's gathering them once again. It's not just a feel-good moment. It's not just a goodbye to a retirement party. This is to re-enter them into the next level of, of, the, government, of the covenant. That's what Rashi says. Who is he gathering? Says Rashi, He is a hierarchy. He starts with the Moschashev. He starts with the board of directors, chairman of the board, and then he makes his way down all the way to Chotev Me'etzecha, the, the um, woodchopper. Rashi says, And Who are these woodchoppers? So Rashi says, this is an allusion to the fact that there were Canaanites who came to convert and to join the Jewish people. And that was their designation. That was their status. Although the psukim here are very clear and very straight and very strong to tell us that we have to treat. We have to treat the convert as a full member of the Jewish people. Once they convert, they're entitled to say, What do you mean? In davening, you're going to reference your grandparents who were Jewish? You're a convert. You're a first-generation Jew. The answer is no. When the convert comes, when they join, they are a full member of the Jewish people. Zohar quotes, it's referenced in Kabbalah, that converts, their souls were present at Har Sinai too. And even though their soul was housed by a body, which technically wasn't Jewish until they made that choice to opt in, but their soul is as connected to the Jewish people in Torah from the time of Sinai. And that's why Bekerav Machanecha, they're part of our camp. We have most oft-repeated mitzvah in the Torah, is v'yahavta masager, to love the convert, to love the stranger, to love the foreigner, to love the immigrant, to love the person who has every reason to feel as an outsider. It's a very, very strong core Jewish value to not make a person feel as an outsider, because we knew what that was like. We lived it. 
we were there. And because we've suffered that pain, we experienced that pain dafka so that it would make us more empathetic and we would therefore be able to show greater love and empathy. A convert has the same status by accepting upon himself the yoke of mitzvos, Kabbalah or mitzvos. So when we say, when we list the totality of the Jewish people, that if anyone were missing, we'd be incomplete, among them are, among them are converts. It bothers me a lot that in the shidduch system, and in the world that we have, it's the opposite of the way we're supposed to behave. We have a mitzvah to love the convert, to never differentiate, to not remind them that they're a stranger, an immigrant to our people, that they've uh, joined our people, that they converted. And you see that people, Davka, do the opposite. It's tragic, and it's a violation of our, of our, core, of our core Torah principles. Why were we joined together? As Rashi alluded to earlier, to join us together in this, in this bris. The Ibn Ezra says, where were we gathered? We were gathered. So the Ibn Ezra says, where is this? Surrounding the Aron. The Aron held the luchos, the broken luchos. Tzantzenes Haman, it held the container of the man, which was evidence of the man's existence. It held the first Sefer Torah that Moshe wrote. Inside this Aron was, from the Aron, the light of Torah was projected to the world. And we were standing around that Aron also inviting us and reminding us who has access to Torah, for whom is Torah relevant, instructive, informative, inspiring, the totality of the Jewish people. From our elders to our young, men, women, and children, the one born Jewish, the one who converted, we're all around Svivos Aaron. we're all around that Aaron because the Aaron, its contents, and the Torah are meant to continue to illuminate and to inspire, and to inspire all of us. The Ger Rebbe, Chidush Arim, has a beautiful insight. Moshe tells them, when are you standing? When? It's not a trick question, people. It's in the Pasuk. When? Hayom. Today. When is that day? Which day was it? So simple understanding is it's every day. We stand together, united, every day. And that's exactly what the Chidush Yarim says. He says, Eiza Hayom. Which Yom? Which, when is it Hayom? And is, when are you nitzavim l'fnei Hashem? When are you standing in front of God? You want to know when you're standing in front of God? Only when? Kulchem. Roshechem, shevtechem, zeknechem, shotrechem, koli ish Yisrael. When you're part of the whole Jewish community, and when you care about every Jew, and when you don't neglect or dismiss or marginalize or judge or eliminate or create barriers or see yourself as different, only then... So the Atem Nitzavim Hayom, when is it you're standing, when is it today you're standing before God? Only when on that day you're Kulchem, you feel united and unified, you feel part of the Jewish people. That infighting, that divisiveness, that judgment that's offered, who you're like, who you're not like, who you'll never be with, who you'll never be like, that is a barrier not just to our own interpersonal relationships, that's a barrier to a relationship with Hashem. And it makes so much sense. I say this so often. All of the relationships that we have in our lives are metaphors for our relationship with Hashem. We see this actually very poignantly in our Yant of Davening. Hayom Yamin Bamishpat. Hayom, we're going to say, Im Kebanim, Im Ka'avadim. There are paradigms of relationship that our human relationships lay out for us. And those are paradigms or options for our relationship with Hashem. And we make the choice of what kind of relationship do I want to have with Hashem. 
a master-slave, a parent-child, a romantic husband-wife, best friend, employer-employee. In Kabbalah it says the reason Hashem created all these relationships in our lives, in this world, are for us to project them or to understand from them a dynamic of my relationship with Hashem. So why did Hashem create a world which would have marriage, parenting, friendship, employment, even slavery at one time? Why did He create a world with each of those relationships? Because those relationships are the paradigm. And then we choose. Im kibanim, im kavadim. Do I love God like a father? Then He's going to love me like a son, like a child. If I only do what God asks of me as a master, then He's going to treat me more coldly and callously like a slave. That choice is up to us. What is the dynamic and what kind of relationship? So if we want God to be our parent, what is the most important thing with parents? You got to get along with your siblings. <laughs> parents, no matter how much pride, your child could get into Ivy Leagues and make $400 million a year and run a billion dollar hedge fund and be accomplished. They could finish shots once a day. No matter how accomplished your child is in any arena of life, if they don't get along with your other children, you struggle to feel nachas from them. All a parent wants is for that, not all. Among the things or the sort of prerequisite, the foundation of what a parent wants is for the children to get along, the children to get along. I spoke last week in Atlanta and I spoke about staka. And why is it that when we give staka, ma'avirin es roha hagzera. Tshuva transforms me, tefillah transforms me. I understand why I'm worthy of a new decree. But I write a check, am I bribing God, am I buying him off? How does that earn me a new decree? And the answer is, be really generous and good and kind to my children and I'm gonna really like you. Forget me. If you're really good to my children, I'm gonna like you. Not only if you're good to my children, if you're unrelated to me, but if you're one of my children and you're good to your siblings, I'm going to, I'm going to love you. I'm gonna love you. Rabbi Eli Mansour is speaking here tomorrow night. I believe it was one of the previous times that he spoke here that he said, I'm not saying it. He said that when Mashiach comes, Bogoraton Synagogue is going to be the first place he stops. He said. <laughs> and why did he say that? It's very generous of him to say, very nice of him to say. Why did he say that? He says, because if you have, if you have uh, many children, and each of your children has one sibling they don't get along with who's not welcome in their home, and then you have one child who gets along with everyone, and they're all welcome and invited, and that's the only home that they all go to together, so as a parent, which child do you like visiting the most? Which home are you most comfortable? In which home do you get the greatest pride? When you have diversity, when you have different minyanim and different types of people and different beliefs and levels of observance and different background, when all those siblings get along, only in the home of the what invites all the siblings, no matter what they look like and how they're behaving, that's where the parent wants to be. That's the paradigm of the relationship. So said the Chidush Arim, when are you nitzavim lefnei Hashem? Do you want to know what it means? When are you standing before God? When? Kulchem. When it is, Roshechem, Shevtechem, Ziknechem, Shotrechem, and so on and so forth. Only when we feel united, only when we feel as one, that's when we are, that's when we are before Hashem. Question is, when was Moshe delivering this? So how did last week's Parsha end? How did last week's Parsha end? With the Tochacha. We had the Tochacha. What was the Tochacha? 98 harsh, graphic curses that are given to the Jewish people if we misbehave, if we don't behave properly. So at the end of last week's parsha, we have the Tochacha. Moshe warns them, listen to my voice, your life will get a lot of bracha. 
and so on. Neglect what I want from you, don't listen or pay attention, then, horror. And we have the long tochacha. It's read quickly and in an undertone, but it's long. It's detailed. It's graphic. It's painful to listen to or read, let alone to experience. The Kloisenberger Rebbe famously one Shabbos morning, when the Balkari was reading it in an undertone, the Kloisenberger Rebbe said, louder and louder, and wouldn't stop till the Balkari proclaimed it, and he said, we lived it. We don't have to say it in an undertone. Those who survived, those who went through the Holocaust, they lived the tochacha, he said. So last week we had the tochacha. And then comes this week, and, Rosh, and uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't worry, you're all standing here, you're good, you're all together. Look at Rashi and Pasuk Yud Beis. Says Rashi, what's going on here? Why do we have our parsha of Nitzavim following, juxtaposed right after the Klalos? They heard that 98 Klalos. They heard the Tochach and they said, Whoa, what chance do we have? We're finished. None of us are perfect. We make mistakes. It's hard to follow everything Hashem asks of us. We're finished. We've got no chance. We're going to be victims of the tochacha. Their face lost all of its color. They turned pale. They turned green. It was terrible. So Moshe says to them, no, no, no. Relax. It's all good. What does that mean? So the Kliyakar is bothered. Look at the Kliyakar and Pasuk Tess. If any of you still bring your Makros, Kedolos. Atem Nitzavim says the Kliyakar. Perish Rashi. He quotes Rashi. Why does he join them together here more than any of the other mitzvahs that he gives them? What is so significant about here? He says, really, Moshe wanted to give them a new, a new bris. Uh, Says the Kliyakar the following. The first bris, the first covenant, the first commitment was made before the sin of the eagle. Before people contributed their gold and their jewelry to build the golden calf. This is a renewed bris after we were forgiven for that horrible, poor judgment and that terrible indiscretion. What was missing in the first bris, which is being introduced here, and why is Moshe Davka doing it this way? <coughs> Says the Kliyakar, what was missing was a sense of kol Yisrael arevim That all the Jewish people are guarantors one for another. The word arev means a guarantor. In halacha, it's a guarantor. If you go to an Israeli bank today, and for the loan they require you to have a guarantor, you need an arev. Kol Yisrael arev means we are guarantors one for the other. One for the other. Now, if I'm your guarantor, if you borrow money, and I'm your guarantor, which means that if you default, they come to me. And then I see you squander money. So you borrow $10,000, and I'm the guarantor that if you don't pay it back, I'm on the hook for it. And now I see you heading off to the casino. Now I see you squandering that money on something stupid, foolish, and you'll never get it back. And I'm your guarantor. What am I going to do? 
I'm going to walk up to you. I'm going to tackle you. I'm going to walk up to you. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to block you. Minimally, I'm going to try to influence you and say, please, don't waste your money that way. I'm, I'm on the hook for it. This is not your personal decision. This is not for you alone to decide. I'm the guarantor. I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. I'm the arif. I'm going to try to stop you. Had the Jewish people felt that, then one would have stopped the other from giving their golden jewelry to the Egel. If they really felt, I'm your guarantor, you know what's going to happen? You donate your greatest, most precious possessions to something so foolish and fleeting, and then you're going to need food, Tom Shabbos, I'm going to have to pay it. So therefore, I'm going to stop you. Don't give it to some place so foolish. That was missing with the Chayta Ego. Says the Kliyakar, that's why now, you're all standing here together. I'm introducing the new bris, and I'm introducing the new covenant, the new commitment, the new bris with the nature of your relationship. You're not just a conglomerate of a bunch of individuals who happen to be in the same place, but there is a guarantor relationship between you, one to another. Such that one will prevent the other from squandering their money. And he says... He says it's a long comment here by the Kliyakar. He says that's what's going on. The Kanyesh Mokom, the Suffolk, Suffolk Godel, the Meshakibu Yisrael Tanchuman Shalhevel. Why did they accept Tanchuman Shalhevel, he says? Right? Moshe Rabbeinu reassured them. Ah, you've got nothing to worry about. Don't worry. Moshe Rabbeinu tells them, even though we just read the Tochacha and it describes this harsh, harsh punishment. Ah, you're all good. What was Moshe reassuring them? Says the Kliyakar, what's going on over here? So you know what the answer is? The Tochacha is directed at the individual. Do you know how we endure and persevere in judgment? You know how you avoid a Tochacha in your life? The more you connect to the Tzibur, to the Kahal, the more you're part of community the more you care about, about people. That's why we're reading this, Kliyakar continues, we're reading this Davka, Erev Rosh Hashanah. We're reading this Erev Rosh Hashanah because we're going to stand before God in judgment. Do we want Chalila Tochacha in our lives? Do we want to experience the worst, the harshest, the most painful? Do we want the greatest pleasure, the highest highs, and the greatest blessing? And part of the answer, which will determine how we're signed and sealed, is do we detach from community? Are we responsible for breakaway from community? Or do we see ourselves as part of community? Do we only love some Jews? Do we only love the Jews who are exactly like us? Or do we love all Jews? Who are we? And how do we behave determines, determines um, our success and our perseverance on the Yom Adin. On the Yom Adin. Do we see ourselves as individuals? Or do we attach ourselves to something so much bigger do we attach ourselves to the tzibur and to the and to the klal? And I think that's very much what this parsha is about, on on many ways. The um, we're going to read later. Skip forward. Parsha says, "Perch of tes pasuk chavches." Perch of tes pasuk chavches. In the art scroll on page ten ninety one thousand and ninety. So the section concludes with the pasuk. The hidden things 
Therefore, Hashem, the revealed, us and our children at Olam, forever, to carry out all the words of this Torah. What in the world is this Pasuk talking about? What is this Pasuk talking about? What is this talking about? What are the hidden things? Nisaros. The hidden things, they're for God. The revealed things, that's for us and our children. What are the hidden things? What are the revealed things? So Rabbeinu Bachya and the Pasuk says, the hidden things, means the ta'ameha mitzvos. The reason for why we do the mitzvos. The purpose, the meaning, the why of mitzvos. That's for Hashem. We can conjecture. We can study, we can suggest, we can offer ideas. But says Rabbeinu Bachya, in the end of the day, only Hashem knows the purpose and the reason for every mitzvah that we do. We have to do the mitzvahs whether we understand them or not. Several weeks ago in Kisetu we had the mitzvah of Shiluach HaKain. The Gemara says, anyone who says the reason we send the mother bird away is because of pity and mercy on the mother bird, Meshaskin, so we silence such a person. And all the Rishon, the Gemara from there says, we don't learn the Tameha mitzvos. We don't concern ourselves with the why. We concern ourselves with the what. What am I meant to do? What am I responsible or obligated to do? What's incumbent upon me to do? But to get distracted or obsessed by the why is not us. Ah, so why are we spending time learning about mitzvos? We spend time. Tameha mitzvos is a whole area. The whole Sefer HaChinuch is mitameh mitzvos. Sefer HaChinuch tries to give us the deeper reason the deeper meaning of a mitzvah. Why do we spend our time on this? So Rabbi Zev left in his uh, book on uh, Chumash, Insights and Outlooks, has a great interpretation. He says, you know, what's the word, the Hebrew word for reason? Tam. Tam. Tes ayin mem. Tam. Tam meha mitzvah. What's the reason for the mitzvah? The Hebrew word tam also means taste. Does it have good time? Does it have good taste? Why do we have the same word to mean both taste and to mean reason? Why do they have the same word to mean both? So Rav Lef explains the following. Why do I eat? Because I need to eat to live. If I were to neglect eating, I'd become malnourished and I'd die. So why do I eat? I eat to live. Now, could I subsist on bread and water? Absolutely. Not, I forget the carbs and whatever, <laughs> gluten and carbs. And, but if I ate bread and water every day, the right amount, a healthy amount, I would, I would live. I'd be just fine. So why do I eat anything other than bread or water? Because I need to eat in order to live. But once I'm eating, the more taste it has, the more I enjoy the experience. Now, even if something has no taste, but I'm starving and there's access to no other food, I'm going to eat it because I need to eat to live. So I'm not eating because of the taste, I'm eating to live. But when it has taste, it enhances the eating experience. Says Rabbi Lef, why do I do mitzvos? Because I need to eat to live, I need to consume mitzvos, I need to do mitzvos in order to live spiritually. If I don't, I dehydrate, I'm malnourished, I die spiritually. The way we are alive spiritually is through mitzvos. We'll get to, we won't get to. But uvachart b'chaim in our parsha. If I choose life, then I live. We were going to go through a Rav Moshe, or Rav Moshe's bother. What do you mean, if I choose life, then I live? Isn't that redundant? If I choose life, then I live. The answer is, if I choose life, means I choose mitzvos. If I nourish my soul, then I'm alive. If I neglect my soul, then dehydrates, malnourished, and it dies. 
So I need to eat mitzvahs, I need to do mitzvahs to live spiritually. But if I understand their time, if they have a taste, if they have a reason, then they're more delicious. I enjoy them more. It enhances the mitzvah experience. So the same word, ta'am, means both reason and taste, makes sense because it functions the exact same way. I eat to live, but when it has a taste, it enhances the eating, I enjoy it more. I do mitzvahs to spiritually live, but when I understand the reason, it enhances the experience and I want to do it even more. Says Rabbeinu Bachia, I do the mitzvahs and I try to learn about them, but I have to submit and concede that in the end of the day, the real reason, the deeper meaning for the mitzvah, I don't have access to. It's conjecture. I'm offering a suggestion. I'm trying to, to dig and to find what is that reason which will enhance my life that gives the mitzvah taste, that makes it delicious, that gives it flavor. The reason for mitzvahs ultimately, that's hidden. That's God. That's The revealed, namely, the charge to perform mitzvahs, that's incumbent on me, ulevaneinu adolam, my children forever and ever. So for Rabbeinu Bachri, the Pasuk's coming to, leave, to tell us, leave the reasons to Hashem, the mitzvahs, the details, the performance, the actions, that's in the end of the day what our children will see and emulate. If we're caught up and focused on the reason, and we're only willing to do a mitzvah we understand, then our children are going to drop out. If you want it to be lanu ulevaneinu, if we want it to be intergenerational, to have a continuity, then it has to be haniglos alanu vanenu. They have to see us doing it. Rashi describes this pasuk not focusing on our relationship with Hashem and His mitzvos, but the pasuk is focusing on our relationship with one another. Hanistaros, the hidden mistakes, the concealed indiscretions of a fellow Jew, that belongs to God. I can't be held accountable. What my neighbor does, bechadre chadarim. What my neighbor does in the privacy of their own home, on their own devices of technology, what they do that I can't possibly know, I can't be accountable for. How can I be accountable for Hanistaros? That which is hidden, that which is concealed, that's Lashem. Hashem will bring consequences and accountability. But Haniglos, what my fellow Jew is doing wrong, that I can see, it's Nigla, it's revealed. That belongs to me and my children if I don't get involved, if I don't address it, if I don't try to make it better, then I too am responsible for it, for not helping, for not supporting, for not reaching out. So this too is a continuation of So we have the parsha begins When are you standing before God? When you stand together, when we're all together, that's when we're before God. And we see this theme continue, Hanistaros Lashem Lokeinu. Not for Rabbeinu Bachayu, who saw it as about Tamei Amitos, but for Rashi, this theme is continuing that Hanistaros, what my neighbor's doing wrong that I can't know, that's for God. I, I, how can I be held accountable? But Haniglos, but what I can see my neighbor doing, if we have a shul where people feel comfortable talking, that's not just an indictment on the talkers, that's an indictment on the whole shul, who enables a culture and a climate where people feel comfortable to talk. And the same is true for every other example. When we tolerate incorrect or inappropriate behavior, when we have an environment where someone can speak Lashon Hara at my Shabbos table, that's not just an indictment on the one who's speaking the Lashon Hara. But if the whole Shabbos table is a place where the person felt bold and brazen enough, comfortable enough to be able to speak, to, to speak that way, it's an indictment of the whole Shabbos table. If a person is willing to take shortcuts in business, to be dishonest, and not only do they get away with it, but they're lauded 
Oh yeah, that's a great chap. I also declare that a business bends. I also do this, I also do that. If we have an environment which not only tolerates, but even applauds or lauds it, then the entire community is an accomplice to that behavior. That's according to Rashi what this Pasuk is telling us. What a person does in the privacy of their own home, that's for God. How could you blame me? But Haniglos, whatever, whatever we see is happening, the phenomena that we see happening under our nose that are revealed, talking in shul, dishonesty in business, gossip, whatever we see that are communal plagues, that's lana ulevanenu ad olam. That's not only are we responsible and accountable, but our children are going to pay. We have a shared responsibility and a shared accountability, and we have a shared destiny. We're one unit, and we're one sim- single conscience. Rabbi in his Chumash points out, it's not merely what he calls a theoretical halachic construct, but it's a central fact in the history of the Jewish people in respect to how the rest of the world looks at us. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. An Italian person can commit a crime, and the headline is just that this person committed a crime. Nobody even reflects the fact that they're Italian. A German, a Frenchman, a Christian, a Muslim, Anyone else can do something wrong, and it only is a reflection of the individual. But the way that the whole world relates to us is that a Jew makes a headline, and it's the whole Jewish people. A Jew cheated in business, a Jew committed fraud, a Jew ran a Ponzi scheme, a Jew, Khalila, had a a terrible case of of sexual abuse of sexual impropriety. The headline, the judgment, is not just about the individual. It's about all of us. And Rabbi Soloveitchik says that that's terribly hypocritical. It's terribly unfair. We should protest it. But in the end of the day, it's a reflection of God's view. They're just reflecting, mirroring Hashem's image of us, which is that the rest of the world is not accountable one to the other. They're not guarantors one for the other. They're not responsible to intervene and intercede and elevate the whole culture and the whole community one for the other. So that's why the headline is about the one person. But the way Hashem designed us, the way He wants us to see ourselves, the whole world is holding us accountable based on the way we're supposed to be seeing ourselves. That if a Jew made a headline, we should all be ashamed. We should all be embarrassed. We should all reflect and introspect and ask, how could it happen within our chabura, within our community? Our neighbors have always condemned all of us for the crimes of one of us. They don't allow a Jew to be judged on his or her merit alone. They point to the behavior of the individual as a means to indict the entire community. And we know there's no other nation, no other race, no other ethnicity that is held to that standard that's judged in that manner. They understand better than we do that Ko Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh. The editors of the newspaper who make those headlines understand Ko Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh. So one does something wrong and they write about all of us. And if they're going to see us in that way, Shouldn't we see ourselves that way? Shouldn't we hold ourselves accountable in that way? So Basilevichik says, it's not just theoretical that ko Yisrael arev And by the way, it's halachic. We have a principle. Gemara Baruch says, Matzah Yatzah Motzi. Rosh Hashanah's next week. We're going to blow the shofar. So let's say I actually blow the shofar in one of our minyanim. Make a bracha and I blow the shofar. And then I come home, I have lunch, and my neighbor says, you know, wasn't feeling well enough, didn't go to shul, could you come over and blow the shofar? Can I make a bracha for them? Absolutely. Why? I made Kiddush, 
And then the guests come and they need to hear Kiddush. So I make Kiddush again. How can I make Kiddush? It's a bracha levatala. Aren't I wasting God's name saying it in vain to repeat a bracha that I already said? I fulfilled the mitzvah. I made the bracha. So how can I make the bracha again for my neighbor, whether it's the shofar or Kiddush? So the Gemara says, Yatza motzi. We have a principle. Even if you were yotzi the mitzvah, you fulfilled the mitzvah, you can still be motzi. You can help the other person fulfill theirs. Why? How does that work? I fulfilled mine. I'm done. Why can I take God's name again? So Rashi there on the Gemara Brachos explains, you know why? Kol Yisrael HaRevim See, here's how we're supposed to view it. If you haven't fulfilled your mitzvah, then I haven't completely fulfilled mine. It's not that I fulfilled my mitzvah and you haven't fulfilled yours. If there's a Jew who hasn't fulfilled his or her mitzvah, then I have not fully fulfilled my mitzvah. You understand what an amazing, amazing halacha? Halachically, it's not just theoretical. Halachically, if a Jew hasn't fulfilled their mitzvah, then I have not fully fulfilled mine. And therefore I can repeat a bracha. And it's not levatala. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. Extraordinary. So Rabbi Salavitchik adds to that. That not only is Kol Yisrael and Yatzimotzi a halachic construct, it is a historical construct. The fact that the nations of the world judge us based on the actions of the individual means that God built into the fabric of history and destiny, into the way the world interacts with us, this construct. It's not just theoretical. It's not just Musr. It's not just halachic. It's historical. It is a historical construct of the way the world arose. And the Medrash says, When is it Atem Nitzavim? When are we standing? When Kulchem Lefnei Hashem. We're crippled. We're crumbling. We can't function. We're not standing upright. We are disabled if we're individuals. On our own, we're frail and we're fragile. On our own, we are spiritually disabled. It's only when we connect with others, when we are a community, when we are united, when we are kulchem lefnei Hashem, only then are we together. A man on his deathbed handed a bundle of reeds to his children, and he told them, try to break them in half. And they passed them around, and as hard as each of them tried to bend them, to break them, they couldn't. Then he separated the reeds, and he handed them to them individually, and he said, try to break it. And each one bent it, and it snapped easily, right away. And the man on his deathbed said to his children, I want you to learn this lesson, that when you're together, when you're united as one, you're strong. You'll persevere. You can overcome any force that comes your way. But if you're divided, each of you stands on your own, then you can be snapped in half so easily. You're vulnerable and fragile. And that is exactly this message. What's nigla, what we see is going on, that's an indictment of us. It's our responsibility to create a community and a culture that endorses and promotes and creates a peer pressure for the right things and creates an intolerance for the wrong things, for the wrong things. That's how we're going to get through din. That's how. We're going to start saying Sunday night. We're going to start reciting. It's up to us to make ourselves. Hashem, we ask Him, help us. Help us become Aguda Achas. What does that mean? Help us become members of the Aguda. What is Aguda Achas? Nothing wrong with that. But what's Aguda Achas? And Aguda means one bundle. Help us not be individual reeds which can break in half. Help us become an Aguda Achas. To see our reed 
as part our branch, as part of a, a stronger bundle that can't be broken, that won't be snapped, that can withstand any force or pressure that's placed upon it. That's our wish, that's our dream. But it's really all for, it's all for us. And that's what these words are what continues in the Pasuk. What's the continuation of the Pasuk? The covenant is both with those who are standing here today and it applies equally to those who are not here that day. Meaning, our commitment, our responsibility are for those who are here, for the Jews we see in front of us, for the ones who will make it to Shul on Rosh Hashanah, equally or even more, that commitment and that aguda achas, that sense of community has to be with the people who don't make it into a shul on Rosh Hashanah, to care about our brothers and sisters in Israel, to care about the unaffiliated and the unshuled, and to care about all those who are not standing right in front of us, who yet we still have to see ourselves as part of one continuation, as part of one whole. So all that's one interpretation of the first Pasuk, that when are we going to persevere in judgment, when we can overcome the warning of the Tochacha of last week's parasha, when is it? When we are community. Uh, many of the things I'm telling you now, I've said before, I apologize, I, I'm a big environmentalist, I believe in recycling, but I'll tell you, I recycle not just things because I'm lazy, I, I, I repeat the things that I think are so core and fundamental that they're so important to reinforce of who we are. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's, it's younger people who need to hear this. But there's a notion of community that transcends and supersedes the individual. We're seeing a movement in the Torah community of everyone focused on their special need, what they need, what they want, individualized needs, and, and failing to be willing to sometimes put aside what I want because there's a value that transcends me, which is called community. There's a Torah principle called community, called Kulchem. I want a minion on my block. It's convenient, it's comfortable, it's accessible, it's when I want it to be. I don't want to make it to shul. It's an extra four minutes of walk. I don't want to come. What happened to Kulchem? What happened to Nitzavim Kulchem? The shul's now half empty because every development's got three local minyanim, private minyanim. And I'm not going to rail on this right now, but nobody can tell me. Nobody will convince me that you can daven as well in a living room as you can in a shul. Nobody's going to tell me that the environment doesn't have an impact on the quality of our davening. On the quality. I'm not talking about the length of our davening. It doesn't have to drag out in shul. It shouldn't be any faster in a home. There's a reason that the Gemara says that Hashem is at shul waiting for you and He hears your tefillahs at shul more when you daven in shul than you daven outside of it. And halachically we're supposed to daven. Leave all that aside. I'm just talking about community. So what? You don't care about going to the Yom HaShoah program. So what? You don't care about showing up at the funeral of the person that you didn't know, but this is a tragedy for the whole community. So what? You didn't feel like coming to celebrate some the shul dinner. You don't know the honorees. This year I'm not coming because I don't know the honorees. Why do I have to go? There's a notion of community that's so much bigger than ourselves. It is an independent, important value called community. And nothing reinforces it like Parshas Netzavim. It's a halachic concept, Yatza Motzi, we care about community. We care about community. When are we standing before God? Only when we're kulchem hayom. When we're divided and fragmented based on which subdivision we live in, which nusach we daven, what age group we want to be with. I'm very opposed to. There, there are shuls that have, we have eight minyanim on Shabbos morning. It's not, we, we believe that everybody should have what they need, but we're all on one campus, one community. We come together. I'm very opposed to there are shuls that have a young professionals minyan. To, to me, when you make separate minyanim, it should be because it's at a different time, you daven in a different nusach, 
but just based on an age, that, that, that creates division. First of all, it's foolish because those young people, I don't know if they know how time works, but they're not going to remain those young people. <laughs> so it's only a matter of time and a few years till they become the bitter people who are now excluded from the young person's minion. <laughs> but also, there should be only legitimate reasons that we divide into different groups. I don't think age should be one of them, ever. Two minyanim that go on at the same time but just divided by age? That's not a nitzavim hayom kulchem. That's not the notion of ziknechem, rashechem, we're all together. We're all together. There's a concept of community. But I want to share one other thought. I want to share 400 other thoughts. But I want to make sure to get to one other thought about this Pasuk, about Atem Nitzavim Ayom Kulchem, and about what we're trying to do. And this is radically different from where we were a moment ago, coming from a different angle and a different direction, is an insight of the Korban Ha'ani, a beautiful interpretation, where he says the Korban Ha'ani, Rav Yaakov Katina, Yaakov Katina, he says the following. He says, look at the names of the parshas. And these two parshas in succession tell us an enormous amount. Atem nitzavim ayom kulchem. And what's next week's parsha? How does next week's parsha begin? Not just Vayelech. Who is Vayelech? Vayelech Moshe. Atem nitzavim hayom kulchem. Vayelech Moshe. And he points out the contrast between we, the Jewish people who are Nitzavim, Jewish people are standing in one place, stagnant, complacent, still, and Moshe is Vayelech Moshe, he's in perpetual motion. He's constantly moving. He's constantly walking. He's constantly growing. He's on the path of striving. He's always driven. He's never arrived. The imagery of Nitzavim is standing still. The imagery of Vayelech is to be on the move. And he, the Korban Ha'ani contrasts the two. Atem Nitzavim, says Moshe. You're standing still. Vayelech Moshe. What's amazing about Vayelech Moshe, this is a Dvar Torah for next week's parsha now, but what's amazing about Vayelech Moshe is, what day is it in Moshe's life? His Bar Mitzvah? He's a Vayelech. Oh, Moshe has so much potential and he's going to grow and he's always moving. We're so proud of him. He's under his chuppah. Is this a Sheva Brachas comment? Vayelech Moshe. Moshe is moving. His Sheva Brachas is amazing. What day of it in Moshe's life? It is the day of his death. And even on the day of his death, he's described as Vayelech Moshe. Still in motion. Always in motion. Never done growing. Never done growing. Doesn't matter what stage of life, we're never retired. You may be tired from your vocation, but you're never retired from your avocation. We're never retired from being alive, purpose and meaning, and the difference we're trying to make. So he contrasts the Atem Nitzavim and the Vayelech Moshe. Are we standing still? Are we stagnant and complacent? Do we feel we've arrived? Or are we with a sense of Vayelech? Are we with a sense of Vayelech? So this pshat is nice, but it bothered me. Because how do we understand it in the context of Atem Nitzavim being a praise? We just finished saying that Atem Nitzavim is all about how do you overcome the tochacha? Because you're standing here all together. Atem nitzavim and you're all together. Moreover, we see the Balaturim as a comment which seems to praise Atem nitzavim. Go back to the beginning. Atem nitzavim ayom kochem, zog the Balaturim. Nitzavim kederach shenemar besinai, vayisyatzvu besachti sahar. 
Moshe was telling them, you know what this is reminiscent of? You know what this is a throwback to? Harsinai. How were we described when we stood at Harsinai? We were described as Vayis Yatzvu, Nitzavim. We stood at the base of the mountain and we're standing collectively as a community now all today. So which is it? Is Nitzavim good or is it bad? To be stagnant and still, to be standing, is that a good thing? Just like at Harsinai, we stood that way before God, all together united? Or is that a bad thing, that we're supposed to be Vayelech? We're supposed to be on the move, all the time, everywhere we go. I'll add in, there's an amazing medrash. The Yaakut Shemoni says the following. God loved the Jewish people more than the Malachim. Why? Both of us are called angelic. Who does God love more? The one that God stands among. We're both called angels, and yet it says God stands with us. So on the one hand, we're being compared to angels. Angels stand still. Angels are complacent. Angels don't move. The Navi describes angels are omdim. So who's nitzavim? Who's standing still? Angels. Angels doesn't have free will. They don't make choices. Those choices don't yield results of either closeness or distance. They're standing still. They're pre-programmed. They're robots. We are even greater because we have free will and choice. And when we use it correctly, then we have an enormous growth spurt. So God says we are also like angels, but we're even greater than angels. So which is it? And how do we understand this all? And I want to suggest to you the following. I'm going to speak about this on Shabbat Shuvah. We're going to talk about resistance. In each of us is an angel. Inside each of us is the best version of ourselves. And yet, that doesn't match who we are in real life. Who I am inside is thin, smart, good-looking, a full head of hair, patient, kind, spend a lot of time with my children, learn a lot of Torah, chazar, disciplined, organized. In between, in between who I know I can be and who I am is something called resistance. Resistance. We have a name for it. We call it the Yetzirah. But we're going to talk about it psychologically. It's called resistance. What's holding me back? Why do I feel the resistance that is blocking me from breaking through to be that best version, to accomplish what I know I could accomplish. That's what we're going to talk about on Shabbat Shuvah. So I reserve the right to revisit some of this. But what I want to say to you is the following. Atemnit Zavim, is that good or bad? Yes. Both good and bad. When it comes to when we're out there in the world, when we're at home, when we're at work, when we're in the base medrash, how are we supposed to feel? Vayelech Moshe. We're not supposed to be like angels. We're supposed to be out there growing and exploring and challenging ourselves and breaking through that resistance. But when does it say, When you're in front of God, you're not Vayelech. Then we're Nitzavim. Because the sense of Nitzavim is, I'm standing still, I can't go anywhere. I can't move, I can't do anything on my own. I entirely rely on, depend on, and turn to you. And why did I come up with this pshat? So in other words, generally speaking, the... He's right, of Yaakov Mikatin. He's right. Vayelech is better than Nitzavim, generally speaking. We're better than angels. But when do we emulate and imitate angels? You know, every day, three times a day, we emulate and imitate angels. You know when we do it? When we stand still for davening. 
Famously, since we're kids, we know. Why do we stand still for davening? I have more kavana, let's say, if I'm pacing the whole room when I daven. I'm not allowed to. Maybe I have more kavana if I've got a great step, a great bounce. I'm not allowed to. Why do I have to stand still with my feet together as if I have one leg? I'm immobile. I'm like an angel standing before God. We human beings have legs, legs we're holchem. Angels are omdim. When I stand before Hashem, I'm so incompetent on my own. I'm so impotent on my own. I so rely on and depend and submit to Hashem, I'm like an angel with nowhere to go and no capacity to go anywhere. So I want to humbly suggest to you that maybe that's what's going on here. Is that when we're outside, when we're not Bifnei Hashem, we're always Bifnei Hashem, but I mean when I'm not engrossed in a conversation with Hashem, when I'm in the world, when I'm running to do chesed, when I'm running to do well at work, when I'm running to grow in my learning, I have to be a Vayelach. I'm never done. To my last breath, to my last day on earth, we have to be a Vayelach. But when I'm standing in front of Hashem, Lifnei Hashem, them atem nitzavim. My amuna, my bitachon is so strong that I have a feeling like an angel. I entirely rely on you. My life is entirely dependent on you. There's nowhere else for me to go. Wishing everyone a great day. Next Tuesday morning, we're not meeting. <laughs> so let me... We are meeting, just not for the parsha. So let me wish everyone a ksiva chasimatoiva, a good gebenshyar. Shev only bracha, nacha, simcha, the best of everything.